Mbak Le. Oh my god. <laughs> Hi, welcome back. We have just returned a few days ago from our Balinese adventure. Yes. Balinese uh, in like micro Javanese. Yeah. Very... Micro ma- micro Manilese. But, Does it count if you don't leave the airport? I don't know. I mean, I guess I kinda... you're, you're kind of there, but an airport's like a... It's like a... A liminal like, zone, yeah. It's like a weird mall. It's yeah. like a micro mall with planes. All right, so maybe we didn't see much of the Philippines. <laughs> but we are back from our Southeast Asian adventures. Still getting the body back to this time zone. Yeah, um, and we wanted to share with you some of what we experienced in Bali. Um, so where do we start? Shoot. The beginning? Yeah. We were kind of thinking we would help organize our thoughts by just looking through each of our respective phone camera rolls to jog our memory, because obviously we saw a lot, we did a lot. I definitely used my phone as like a, I'm never going to remember this if I don't take a a photo (laughs) of it, like very touristy, but whatever. I forgot to bring my journal, which would have helped me a lot to remember things. So I was kind of trying to use my phone as a journal just to to jog my memory about something. Did you write? Like write in your phone at all? Like the no, notes? no, oh. that's not really how I journal. Mm, I've you, never you really. Like the I have to do the pen and paper. Pad. Yeah, I don't mm. really like to journal digitally. Um, but let's see, what do we have? So, so starting off, uh, this is the longest flight I've ever been on. You, you, you've done no, some like. I went to New Zealand when I was seven. Oh, is that is that longer or about the I think same? It's longer. Okay, I'm not sure. I think it's it's comparable at the very yeah. least, but I flew out of Minneapolis. Because like it's maybe it's a little farther west, but it's farther south. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I know it was long, and I know we crossed the international dateline, and I missed my seventh birthday, which mm. happened in the day that I quote unquote skipped. Time is an illusion; it's fake. We should abolish it. But um, anyway, <laughs> those long flights are so gnarly for kids. Like we had, yeah. we had on both our flight out there and back here. There was a lot of. Kids. Young children. They Short. seem to get, like, most upset during the descent. Do you notice that? That's mm. when they get fussy. It's like the feeling of going down is, like, intense for a child. It's pro- probably also, like, the, the ears, ears popping yeah. if they if don't understand how to clear their the Yeah, pressure. so how, how did you fare on the flight? I feel like... Um, I think generally okay. Like, I'm not really a person that can sleep super well on planes. Like, I just kind of do, like, a meditative thing where I'm, like powering down but still mostly awake yeah well we had this you know this particular flight that we took also we had the experience of it being sunlight for the full uh 14 hours of our flight yeah because we were kind of like chasing the sun we were chasing the sun so i think the sun set like finally in like the last hour before we hit manila yeah going from la to manila um so it was funny though because we were like Nobody on the plane had their window open from the very beginning. It was the middle of the day. We left at noon. So it was like people were just ready to get... Maybe they're more experienced with this particular flight. It was a lot of Filipino people, I think. Maybe they're like used to doing this flight. And everybody just like closed their windows and went to bed at noon. And we were like, what? Yeah, I want to look out the window. I've never gotten this way before. I know it's a whole lot of water, but... Yeah, we were the only people who were, like, opening our window. I felt really embarrassed about it, so I, like, fashioned a little, like, blanket over my head so I wouldn't disturb anyone. You had, like, a light hood. I had, like, a, yeah, like a dark, like a dark room. It was still bright as fuck. (laughs) It was so weird. No one was looking out the window, and we found that really weird. Um, But I thought it was really enjoyable, and my strategy for jet lag was I'm just going to stay up basically 24 hours so that when i get to bali i'll be tired enough to fall asleep even mm-hmm. though we got there like midnight which was like noonish here right noon here yeah there's like a 12 hour so. difference 
Um, no, so, it's like 16 hours here. Oh, so It's like 12 to the East Coast. So we got there at a time when like hours. I wouldn't normally be asleep, but I just needed <clears> to like exhaust myself to be able to sleep when we got there. Wait, we can't talk about this without talking about our seatmate. Oh, no. So, like, as soon as like the flight started, like uh, you were at the window, I was in the middle, and then there was like this young guy. Uh, on the aisle seat but he took his shoes off and it was so stinky and we didn't realize it was coming from him at first so we were making all these comments and like what does that smell i don't feel like we were being that loud though maybe not it's hard to tell on a plane because it's so loud i feel like i'm yelling but like you can't really hear people it didn't seem that loud to me but yeah it was we were just like what the who has their feet out and then i noticed who it was and i was like he was like a teen he was like a teenager i think or like very young man I, my guess is like early 20s but anyway yeah that was upsetting but it, it, it our, our nose is regulated got used to it eventually until we got stirred up again when we got back. anyway <laughs> well so yeah we don't, we don't spend, spend too much, too much time, time there but it's a weird way to spend such a long flight and when we realized we were like trapped with the smell but we survived <laughs> the plane this was um philippine airlines which like you had heard from your brother who had flown it that it was like pretty gnarly like i don't think it was that gnarly i don't think it was that bad but... it was just a regular ass flight yeah mm-hmm. um and then we got to manila with like a one hour 20 minute layover which like i had done my research beforehand and learned like i won't get into it but like basically we had to change our flight because the manila airport is kind of notorious for these like really laborious um transfer uh schedules and like regulations you have to have an hour to get from flight to flight and the first flight that they like rebooked for us only was 55 minutes so i knew we were like in peril or whatever we got there they would have boosted us through i think maybe but think about how yeah but we had an hour and 20 minutes to get through and we still got on the plane just under the line if we had had only 55 minutes, I mean, there's still we had 30 people, minutes. Still people getting on after us. It's not like mm, we I got on, they closed the door, and we rolled off. I don't know. I don't think it was good. I mean, they <laughs> definitely are more lenient at that airport because they know connecting flights are, like, disastrous. The thing about Manila Airport that I, like, later learned was it has, like, a really intense and, like, excessive, I think, uh, security checkpoint system. Like, yeah, we went through so many different checkpoints. <laughs> there also weren't, like, updated transfer screens. There are just people, like, holding signs, like, yelling, anyone going to Bali? Anyone going to Bali? <laughs> and then they, like, tell you where to go. It's, like, really a Wild West kind of airport. Um, but we can get into more of that uh, when we get to the second half of our podcast about our six-hour layover in Manila. Um, so we got to Bali, we, we made it through all that madness and running through the airport and getting on our plane and getting picked up and we were in Bali. Yeah. You got picked up by your mom and her husband, Jerry. Are they married? They're married, she said. Yeah. (laughs) Partner, husband, I don't know how they identify. Her partner, Jerry, uh, I think it's interesting, like, learning, like, the, the, like, distance times and things like that because like uh the airport is only like 10 was it 10 or 15 miles from where my mom lives but it took at like in the middle of the night it took like an hour to get there but yeah roads are like much different there's not like freeways really there there a lot of the roads are a lot smaller and they're like very windy and there's like 90 degree turns sometimes yeah yeah so you can't really go as quickly <clears throat> yeah so we got picked up by um your mom's driver Made, and at like midnight um 
there was a lot to take in just on the ride home. I was just like noticing things. The first thing I noticed was the smell of burning garbage, which I haven't seen anybody. I hadn't seen anybody talking about in anything about Bali vacations and these like fantasized, you know, like, mm. like Photoshopped Bali vacations. Like there's a lot of burning... very, very smoky. Yeah. I guess that's the primary form of like household waste management, I'm guessing, or neighborhood or village waste management is burning or landfilling. Landfilling yeah. and burning. I, I think, didn't, didn't, I don't know if it was my mom, but didn't someone say there was an, a big fire at the landfill maybe. while we were there yeah, also? Yeah, someone did say that. So maybe because of that, more people were, like, burning their own garbage or something maybe. like that. Um, well, you know, there's those little, like, there's those little compartments on the street that are designated mm-hmm. for burning garbage, right? I think so. I we mean, I didn't, I didn't see them. them everywhere, but there's definitely <clears throat> kind of like how we have gutters here. They have gutters, but they're like much deeper, mm-hmm. uh, probably because they get so much more rain in the monsoon season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there was definitely like, just like sometimes it's trash. Sometimes it seemed like it was like dead leaves just like piled up and someone lit them on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there were some like stone kind of boxes that also seemed to have, uh, trash on fire in them. Mm-hmm. Um, I did see waste collection one morning, like people sorting, yeah. out, recycling from I waste. I saw some bins too. Yeah. Um, but I think that was more in Denpasar. Yeah. So we went from Denpasar to Abud in the middle of the night. It took us about an hour, um, checked into our homestay, which your mom had arranged for us right next to uh, her house. And yeah, managed to get some sleep, woke up pretty early. Um, I guess, let, let me look at our picture. The first thing you saw was a monkey. The first thing I saw. I have a picture of you here. Yeah. On the balcony. Oh, look at that. There's a monkey. Yeah. The, I, I walked out to our little balcony in the morning and there was this monkey. Grizzled guy. <laughs> this old monkey walking along the um, power lines there. So we'll put that picture in the show notes page. But um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, where we are staying in Ubud is uh, Nyunguling, is that right? Nyunguling. I have it here. Nyunguling. Uh, let me look at my notes. Here, it's in this uh, video I did. It's Nyunguling. Nyunguling. Nyunguling, which means, translates to yellow coconut. Um, and it's just a small village on, uh... It's like just south of Ubud. Um, on the other side, other of, the side monkey, of the monkey forest. Of the monkey forest. Sacred monkey. Sacred monkey forest. Uh, so it's like a really small village. Uh, and... Seem chill. Seem chill. Touristy. A little, like, tr- a little developed, like, western developed, which, like, we can talk more yeah, about. Yeah, not quite the bustle of, like, Ubud. Ubud was definitely more, like, bustling. Bustling, touristy. But there was a lot of traffic, though, because there's, like, this path that goes from Nyunkuning into Ubud, and it seemed like it was originally, like, a walking path, because yeah. it's, like, it's basically a sidewalk, but it's turned into, like, a scooter freeway, <laughs> like yeah. a scooter shortcut. To get a into very Uber. narrow, very narrow, super busy. Like <laughs> it seems like everyone is like cutting through there to get into Ubud. Yeah. So whenever we got up that first morning, didn't we say let's go walk around and see what's here? Mm-hmm. And we just kind of walked down. There's only really two streets in this village. We walked down one of the main streets and saw these people going on their scooters. And we kind of like peeked down the path and we were like, this doesn't seem. It seems dangerous. We probably shouldn't do this. And then we saw there was like a wider road next to it 
that we were like, I guess we'll go this way. We took that. That dead ended. And then we were like, I guess we'll just jump over this little fence here and walk down the scooter path. But we were walking down it. Scooters were passing us. We didn't know if we were like breaking some unspoken rule. We didn't see any other pedestrians. Yeah, it didn't seem like anyone was looking at us strangely. But yeah, it was just like not enough room for like two late two different directions of scooter traffic and let alone pedestrians pedestrians and there were monkeys everywhere yeah uh this is right right in the monkey forest there's a fence that separates it from the part that you pay to go into the like to go into the sacred temple and the paths and whatever i don't know we didn't we didn't go in there like officially mm-hmm. we just used this sh- the shortcut um, but we had been warned, you know, hold your stuff close. Don't walk through with any food or drink. They will grab it from you. They'll grab your phone. Your grab phone your away. glasses. <laughs> we made it through our first time, not knowing if we were doing the right thing relatively safely, though. Yeah. Right? That wasn't the morning the monkey attacked me. No. Um, yeah, and then we walked around Ubud and got, I think, food or something. Uh, actually, I don't know what we did. Oh, I needed coffee badly, of course. Yeah, you were you were in a great coffee hunt the whole time. Always, yeah. So you had to try a lot of different coffees, and you said it helped you. Help ref- me understand more about the brewing process. And I mean, mm-hmm. this is one of the the great regions for coffee. Sumatran coffee, uh, Java is so called because of <laughs> the island of Java that and. Uh, yeah, I definitely learned a lot about what I like and don't like about coffee. Different brewing techniques from this trip. Cold brew, I, not so easy to come by. <laughs> <laughs> even in the even in the more um, westernly developed, I'm gonna call them gentrified areas. Colonized might be a better word. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's tricky. Um, yeah, I had a hard time finding cold brew, but we got some coffee. Did you get some food? I don't remember. We got you that cinnamon roll. Anyway, we wandered on. And yeah, while you were doing your coffee tasting, I did a little bit of cinnamon roll tasting. Right. There's there's more decent cinnamon rolls in Bali (laughs) than there are in in LA. (laughs) Yeah. For some reason, there's a big cinnamon roll boom there. Maybe because cinnamon is a, a, you know, a a crop there. Cinnamon, yeah, cinnamon does Cinnamon bark. Is grown there. Um, Yeah. What else? Oh, we learned cloves. Yeah, we learned about which cloves. Which is really cool. Um, I'm looking at our pictures from our first day, wandering around, looking at all the cool textures. There were so many, like, plants, orchids. Your mom showed us her orchid collection. Yeah, my my mom's always... Well, not maybe not always, but when she lived in California, had, like, a really big orchid collection and had to get rid of them <clears throat> when she moved to Oregon because she had just a smaller place and couldn't... Uh, didn't have space for them all. Uh, so it's cool that she's been able to get Re- back her regrow, favorite plant. Yeah. Um, and it's actually like the right climate for them because Humboldt wasn't, Humboldt wasn't really warm enough. Yeah. She kind of had most of them like in her, in the bathroom where she could keep it like a humid. little more humid from like showering and bathing yeah. and stuff. Yeah. It was really cool to see the array of plant life there. And that was something I've always been looking forward to ever since we planned on going to Bali years ago seen the plant life but actually I actually didn't end up like I don't know focusing on the plant life as much as I thought I would just because mm. there were so many other interesting dimensions about visiting Bali socially mostly like just kind of taking in like the culture 
sort of trumped the plant life in a lot of ways. And there are a lot of plants that grow here that grow in abundance there, which I yeah, thought was Yeah, I think that was cool to see. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what those were now. <laughs> I mean, a ton of, like, the plants we have in our living room, corn plants, I forget the Oh, yeah, there was name, corn plants everywhere. everywhere. Um, uh, a bunch of other stuff. I mean, I have photos here, but, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, then on the second day, we went to that Sambal restaurant. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. That was good. So, like a sambal is kind of like a Indonesian hot sauce. It's a word for hot sauce, I yeah. think. Um, some some of them are like recognizable for what we have, like blended, more liquidy sauces. And some of them are a little more just like, chopped. they got little chopped up peppers and onions. Or and anchovies. And, and anchovies, yeah. Yeah, it was a really cool restaurant. I guess it's... um. Sort of like a local restaurant. You did really didn't get the sense that it was like a tourist destination when we were there. Um, not for the tourists that go there. No. Most of the tourists there are probably not that into spicy food. Right. So many Germans. And I think I think not known for their love of spicy. There at the restaurant. <laughs> no, in Bali in oh, general. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, the Sambal restaurant was really good. I'm glad we experienced that. And Jerry said that it cost like $16 for five people, mm. which is just just wild. I mean, we can talk about like the the weirdness of like the, the how far our dollar went there. There's something like, I don't know if we want to get into all that. Uh, good. I mean, definitely that restaurant was $16. I would say we went to other restaurants that were more like westernized where like, Feeding two people was $16, $15, you know, so there was definitely a range depending on who the restaurant was like catering Catering to, to. you know, or, or where you were too. Cause like some of the stuff in like the bigger city was definitely more expensive, just kind of like here. Yeah. And then, yeah, when we were more rural spots, um, was definitely, um, yeah, less expensive. And then one of the next days, maybe the third day, I don't remember. This was, we were still in Ubud. Um, uh, your mom and Jerry arranged for their driver, Made, to take us out of Ubud to the rice terraces. Yeah, those are really cool. I've never seen, like, rice growing. It was really beautiful, actually. It's, like, yeah. so green. Um, I guess when they were, like, gro- growing more, but they kind of dry out when they're starting to ripen is that the right word Mm -hmm. (laughs) um yeah that was have you seen rice fields before no i've never seen that i never that was super dope i i enjoyed seeing that it was Um, interesting to see some of the like i i thought the uh, i thought the cows were an interesting element of it Mm-hmm. seeing how they have cows there for like the express purpose of creating manure they were in kind of sad conditions. Yeah, they were like had like this tiny little shade structure, and they were tied up, basically by the nose. By the nose to like, I don't know how far they could go, but it didn't look like they could they stand. But it didn't look like they could really like yeah walk around or anything like that. I mean, there wasn't anything for them to graze. It was just rice around them. Oh, they had like a what's it called? Not. I guess a trough, kind of, mm-hmm. where people were putting, I don't remember what it was, let's say some sort of hay. <laughs> but I think, like, you know, I, I say that it was rough conditions. I also think it's so important to see how 
these where these where certain crops come from mm-hmm. and talking to Made about the rice uh, rice agriculture in Bali it used to be did he say that it is still bought the Balinese rice is mostly to feed people in Bali or did no he, he said Bali used to like produce all its own rice to feed itself now it does not now they export so much they don't they, they don't... have to import rice to feed people no they're losing i I like read an article about this too they're losing uh losing um rice work rice workers rice field the land to tourism that's right that's Uh, right i saw this one thing it was like a side-by-side video of i mean this is kind of going to the second half because it's talking about uh chengu but it was like that road into chengu yeah and it showed now it's all stores and hotels and tourist trap stuff and before it was all rice fields yeah so i read that as well um and i mean chengu is still you still on our way out you still saw there's a lot of rice mm -hmm. field and it's very beautiful but yeah i've heard the same thing that it's been super developed compared to what it was 20 years ago or something i mean it seems like it's kind of like one of those things where like each plant does not make a whole lot of rice right. so you need, you a, need lot a lot of space to to do it and then i imagine you're kind of like cycling too like it's not like everything harvests all at once yeah um yeah i think uh i can't remember if it was made or yo-yo said there's the cycling between corn and rice uh, too yeah. so that they're not monocropping and depleting the soil yeah i think that was made. Made. um but yeah i mean i guess i think like just to like zoom out it's an important perspective to see i mean we see things like cowschwitz here like the Mm -hmm. way that like the beef industry here is just like horrific obviously then you see something like that and it's you know uh definitely not the best situation for the cows but you like zoom out and and look at the perspective of like how they're doing agriculture yeah i mean it's who it's serving (laughs) <laughs> there's not a chemical fertilizer and right. like that whole pipeline. We assume, like, yeah. yeah. Completely destroying the environment right. as right. well. I also thought it was interesting their pest control throughout the all the rice fields we saw. They do these like long lines with like shiny metal on it. Oh, we yeah. saw them Just like manually jingling them. Scare birds to away. To scare birds away. I thought that was like really interesting how it's this manual scarecrow job kind of you know i mean i'm sure the birds get used to it like i don't know if you've ever driven through napa or anything or like an orchard that have similar thing with like flappy shiny foil Mm -hmm. yeah that they put in the trees and all around them when the wind hits it to scare birds away yeah you'd think they'd adapt but yeah so the rice field is cool um definitely interesting to see that staple crop uh, and how it's how it's made, I guess. I had never seen that. Um, we also went to that waterfall, Leke Leke. Yeah, that waterfall was, was cool. Waterfall was cool. There's tons of waterfalls in Bali. <laughs> that was the only one we <laughs> see, went to. It was, yeah, I don't know. We've seen lots of waterfalls. Water it was cool to see, but yeah. yeah, I didn't feel like I needed to see a whole bunch. No, no. And we also didn't do any temples when we were there, which like no. is one of the biggest... It's it's I would, I think it's one of the biggest... like tourist cultural tourist like offerings or whatever is to see some of the ceremonies for Balinese Hinduism and see some of the architecture um yeah Ubud is like specifically like a birthplace of this kind of like specific art style that 
uh, we went to the art museum. We forgot about that part too. Yeah, well, we can still talk about. It. Yeah, Ubud is known as like this artisan mecca, and the way that the art um, influenced and was influenced by like uh, Balinese Hinduism and stone carving and wood carving and moving from carving like deities to floral. I've been just kind of like researching like floral motifs. I've been researching like all of that because I'm trying to understand where some of that like. Uh, influence came from you know mm-hmm. and we went to an art museum do you remember what it was called it was kind of contemporary i wasn't do it? not remember what it was called but yeah it was fascinating um yeah it was really interesting and did we find out like one of the people that started the museum was some dutch artist yeah right? it was dutch and and he was actually one of the main like from what i'm researching and i'm still like in the preliminary stages of understanding this is like there was a lot of Dutch influence on the carving mm-hmm. that uh, that we now see in in Bali. So post nineteen twenty nineteen thirty, there was like a big Dutch influence on these like floral motifs and things like that. I also learned that because of like Islamic influence on wood carving, they pro- certain sects of Islam like prohibit animals and people being depicted. So that's mm-hmm. also why there's like a lot of floral stuff happening but of course that's not in the temples because those aren't you know mosques or whatever but yeah there's a lot of like interesting cultural bleed the the dutch guy who came i think was like a patron and also there was also another dutch artist who came and was highly influential he set up shop and a lot of people looked at his work and started emulating it is there what was, it says i can't remember exactly what i read but it was something where he didn't expe- he didn't experiment with like kid art like kids in art school well that was the paintings we were looking at that was a different artist that was a Balinese artist and that was a Dutch person was it yeah I looked up their name I don't know if that's true but we'll look it up well we can look it up but yeah I think it was a Dutch person but he yeah did some he was doing some weird social experiment where he took kids that I guess were in an art school that he was running or something like that and was like I think it was something to do with the see if you could uh, how like you could develop artistic, artistic ideas would proliferate but through he wanted to create a, a genre he wanted to see if he could create a, a new school basically a school mm-hmm. of art oh, and he created a, isn't that what that was that was a school of art that he created I mean it was really fucking cool paintings and I couldn't figure out if I was looking at the same artist or different artists because it was these like repetitive styles and motifs and like uh just compositionally they were all very similar and like the color choices and the contrast and things like that um we'll put some of those pictures up because i I took a lot of pictures of that and it was really some trippy artwork wasn't it Mm, yeah it was a lot of a lot of depictions of things from i can't remember the book but uh like Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, like Hindu epics, kind of. And I looked it up because I was like, why do so many of these critters look like Jim Henson Muppets? And I looked up that there was one uh, one of the artists in Jim Henson's studio was influenced by Indian Hinduism characters Mm. and some of those characters having similar similarities to these characters that we saw in these Balinese Hindu paintings. Super interesting, the artwork. And Ubud is this, like, 
I guess, the art epicenter of Indonesia. Or Bali. Or Bali. <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh. I'm not sure. Um, I took a bunch of pictures of, like, sculptures and stuff, too, around the, the neighborhood. Because I thought those were really interesting. There's all, outside of many of these, do you want to explain the compounds and kind of how, like, the village we were in is set up? Oh, so, like, people, I think, uh, yeah, so people live in, like, a family compound, kind of, mm -hmm. uh, where I'm not sure how old you are when you kind of get your own room, but I assume, like, when you're an adolescent yeah, or maybe. an adult or something. But, yeah, people live in, like, a family compound where it's everyone kind of works communally to, like, take care of it and um, <clears throat> as opposed to, like, moving out and getting your own place kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then, I guess, when you get married, the woman joins, like, her husband's family, so she would go to live. In a different compound. With Yeah, in their compound. We, um... We... Uh, so very communal. Yeah. Which is dope to see. And your mom and Jerry were friends with a family who we went into their compound and we sat with them and made some of these um, offerings. I don't know what they're called, but they're these little like palm frond kind of offerings that are folded and arranged every day with like, right, like a kind of like a little like dish made out of leaf, banana leaf or palm frond or something that they put rice in and flowers and incense and set outside the house every day. So we went and kind of sat with them. Um, there was like not a shared language. I guess the one, the one daughter spoke English, right? Yeah. Um, I think my mom even said like some of the older folks were speaking like a, an older version an, of, yeah. And even old Indonesian yeah, or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't like what everyone else was speaking around this. Right. So it was like, yeah, like two layers of translation kind of happening. But they let us go into their temple that was in their compound and we also just saw some of their different living quarters. There's like a shared kitchen and a shared storage. Is that what we saw? Uh, I think, yeah, some sort of pantry. Like a pantry and a kitchen that's shared by everybody. And then there's all these different buildings inside the compound. Walls. That have like your room and stuff like that. And then outside each compound, there's often these figures. And I was like super fascinated by them because they didn't appear. I don't know if they're like traditional figures or if you choose like if they're figures with names or if you work with an artist just to create a figure that like symbolizes who you want outside your compound I didn't really get to the bottom of it or research it but like every compound has like very different figures I feel like you know mm -hmm. as opposed to like always Ganesh or always Buddha or some other figures but maybe I'm just not familiar with like all the the, the deities or the I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I, don't know. <laughs> I really couldn't say without. I didn't ask anybody. Um, so that was like the village we stayed in. Do you have any other pictures that are jogging any memories? Um, not really. I have my little coffee place that I liked, Old Friends Coffee. That was right on our street. I have a bunch of pictures of figures. Oh, and then what about the Scoopies? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's like... <laughs> uh, like, I would say there's, yeah, definitely, it's, like, kind of opposite traffic of L.A., where L.A.'s, like, mostly cars, and then there's some motorcycles there. It's mostly, like, scooters and motorcycles, and then some cars. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of, like, 
interesting scooter names. I think one of her favorite was the Honda Scoopy. <laughs> you came home like the first time after getting up and walking around and you were like, Genevieve, Genevieve, the scooters here are called Scoopy. I thought you'd like that because <laughs> it is my kind of word. Yes. Scoopy. You so, have to say it that way. Scoopy. We started collecting all the different, and there's variations of the Scoopy too. There's Scoopy Cool, Scoopy Licious, Scoopy Sport, oh yeah, Stylish Scoopy, Stylish Scoopy. You took pictures. I took pictures. Yeah, Stylish Scoopy, Scoopy Licious. There's like a Scoopy Scoopy Cool. This one's just Scoopy Scoop, Sporty At, Sporty At. There's a Scoopy Cool. (laughs) Yeah, we love the Scoopies. We did not end up riding a Scoopy, but they were they were prolific. There was prolific Scoopy. Lots of people had Scoopies. Um, I'm looking at our pictures from the art museum. And our Scoopies. And then, I think soon after, our little art exhibit thing was when we headed up north to Resortville. Yeah, my mom wanted to head to this a uh, resort in the northwest of Bali um, that her and her partner really liked. Uh, so the town was Pamudaran. Pamudaran. So we tagged along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we came along for the ride. We were very much like at this point forward along for the ride. There were yeah. some activities planned. We don't really know what was going on or where we were. At well, a... we got to choose our activities. We did. We did. Um, what did we do? We went snorkeling, which is really dope. I don't think I've ever like properly gone snorkeling before. I've like you know, splashed around in the ocean or, like, a river with, like, a mask and uh-huh. stuff on. But this was, like, we saw, like, this was coral reef, reef, reef snorkeling. Which is so dope. Yeah. Um, we saw a sea turtle. We saw a sea turtle. We saw a bunch of cool fish. Lots I so coral. I've to- I told you this. Like, I've been, I've been diving in Belize. I went on a diving trip when I was 17. Um, we did numerous deep water dives up to 60 feet. This was cooler than any of those. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got like, I don't know. I kind of got, I got snorkel pilled a little bit <laughs> because the thing is, as you go deeper down, yeah, there's less light and the colors are less vibrant. So when I did those dives, I didn't really see the kind of like vibrant neon UV, like, you know, colored fish and coral that we saw here i really really enjoyed it they were great spots excuse me our boat was like kind of half diet half scuba half half scuba divers half snorkelers and like at a bunch of different times you could kind of see like down where the scuba divers were yeah I really wanted to know, like, I'm like, I want to see what, I wonder what they see down there. Like, I mean, what's they're it, seeing... What's the coral like down there? Because it was like mm-hmm. this really crazy, like, drop off, like, cliff. up to the, sh- up to the shore. It was like just gradual, just like sloping, sloping, sloping. Then it was like a cliff that just, it was kind of scary sometimes to look over there. You're like, what the fuck's it down felt, there? It felt like you were flying. Yeah. And could fall. Down yeah, it the felt cliff. like you could fall down the cliff. There was definitely like an instinct like of like, floating, I'm going to fall. Yeah. It was just like out there, it just goes and you can go so far you can't see the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> um,. Uh, I just got distracted because I saw a photo, remember, when we were driving through the clove forests on the way there? Uh-huh. That, that was one thing I was going to say, like, uh, but maybe we should come back around to it because I'm, di- I'm digressing, but I remembered uh, about clove cigarettes in Bali, or rather I learned that 
clove <laughs> cigarettes were invented in Bali. Uh, not the ones that we have here. Initially, it was just pure clove cigarettes. And then I think when the Dutch... Oh, just like the, no tobacco? No tobacco. When the Dutch came, oh, they brought tobacco. I know you could just smoke pure clove. I mean, it's I guess it's like other herbal cigarettes. I'm sure you, uh, I'm sure you grind it up or whatever. But, and maybe you mix it with other leaves, but... Like, clove cigarettes, I never even thought those actually had clove in them. I just thought it was, like, some oh. gnarly chemical flavoring or whatever. No, but, d- So they Dejarum, actually have, like, ground up clove in mm-hmm. them. Dejarum, oh. the most notorious clove brand, if you were ever a moody teen and smoked a black <laughs> cigarette, it was probably a Dejarum. I know I was. Um, those were, yeah, those are a Balinese specifically Balinese export. There's huge clove forests and we drove through them and you could smell yeah. it, I think, at, at some point. Um, and our guide or our driver, Yo-Yo, also like showed us where the tree was and the little bud. And so it is the the bud of the clove that gets harvested, mm-hmm. dried out, and that is what a clove is. So it's the pre-flowering bud. Um, but yeah, it was the first time in 10 years I ever craved a cigarette. You're Johnson. It just, like, yeah, I used to smoke Bali High. Dijon Bali Highs was my first brand of cigarette. I'd smoke one a night when I was 16. I'd hide them under my car seat so my parents wouldn't find them. And I'd smoke my one Dijon on the 30-minute drive home. Yeah, feeling like a badass. Feeling like a badass. I'd just gotten my driver's license. I was so free and rebellious. (laughs) I'd do what the fuck I want. And you remember, I don't know if you remember this, but... When I was in high school, people would always say, like, clove cigarettes make your lungs bleed. Don't, oh, yeah. Don't I definitely smoke heard too many. That. I looked it up, and it said the cloves are no less harmful to you than... Oh, really? So maybe it's an I American was... tobacco propaganda to keep out the bully. I always thought it was because they're not actually cigarettes. They're more like cigarellos. Well, now they are. Uh, because they are banned in the U.S. because flavored tobacco products are banned so now what they've done to get around that what Dejarm has done is to get around that is to wrap it in a cigar paper mm. it's still a cigarette it's technically a cigarillo you can sell a flavored cigarillo you can't sell a flavored cigarette <laughs> so they've got gotten around it but it put a little like you know spoke in the wheel of that industry here at least but yeah Dejarm's advertised all over huge clove forests that's my non sequitur about <laughs> craving a cigarette for the first time in a really long time. Just Lots of people were smoking them. I, the, g- I got whiffs of it everywhere. And they're called Kritek there, which is a, um, it's a onomatopoeia for the sound that the clove makes as it burns. It crackles. Does it really do that? Not that I remember, but it's been a long time. Anyway. We had to grind up some cloves and smoke them straight. I mean, I guess you could. People smoke all kinds of like herbal blends, like mullein and you know mugwort and shit. I don't think I've ever done an herbal cigarette. Remember those ones? They were called like ecstasy, and they had like the butterfly. You'd use them for like stage cigarettes. Yeah. uh, In plays, I loved how those smelled though. I don't think I've ever smelled one burning. Oh yeah, we would use them in 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 theater, Uh. in like summer stock or whatever. But back to the reef, Pamudran. I also got really badly sunburned. Yeah. Oh yeah, this this snorkeling was like. Uh, off the coast of Deer Island. Oh yes, which I wanted to go to. I didn't see any deer. No, we, we didn't. didn't make it on on Deer Island. But I've heard of the legend of Deer Island. There's like a big temple there with like a huge Ganesh uh, sculpture statue, and uh, yes, it's a it's populated by. I don't know if it's like an endemic deer that's special, like to Bali only. I, I mm, looked it up, but I don't I'm not remember. Sure. 
Um, Some Dutch person could also brought them there to hunt yeah. them, and then they, mm. no predators and just exploded population. Could be. Um, but basically, that was like what day four, day five that we went snorkeling, and I got a third degree burn <laughs> on my butt. You're crispy. On my butt and on my back, it ended up blistering and like peeling for the entirety of the rest of our stay. But you know what? It was worth it. And I did reapply sun. I, I reapplied sunscreen twice, or I put it on once, and I put it on in between our two things. But I still, I, I didn't use enough, or I didn't. Yeah, it wasn't water resistant enough. It happens. I got real burnt. <laughs> My skin is not used to the equatorial sun. I guess. And then our next activity. Yeah, Daddy's favorite. Fishing. Well, I like the, I liked snorkel too, but I also liked fishing. That was fun. The next I, was that the next morning. It was. Yeah. Uh, and I think I, some, like, dad of one of our friends when we were kids brought us fishing once, I think, but, yeah, I've never really, like, seriously fished before, Mm -hmm. which was cool to do. I caught a barracuda. You caught a a barracuda and, um... A white snapper. A white snapper. And what was the other one? I don't remember. It was, like, a banana fish. Banana fish. And you caught a red snapper. Two red snappers. Two red snappers. Yeah. Um, your mom caught, I don't remember, one of them was like a coral fish, which was really sad mm-hmm. in a way. I didn't really see it, but it was like a, uh, kind of like, a, not an angler, not an angelfish, something similar. I'm not sure, yeah. Um, but it died from rapid decompression, getting pulled up. Yeah, we were... As did a few other fish that we threw back that were too small. Too small, I think, I can't remember exactly, I th- it was like almost 200 feet deep where we were fishing, so mm-hmm. we were like, I, I don't know anything about fishing or what this technique is, but we were dropping <laughs> our weights line. all the way to the bottom and then just pulling them up just slightly off the ocean floor. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty, I don't know if that counts as deep sea fishing or what, but it was either. it was deep, so mm-hmm. yeah, some, when you pulled them up, they were definitely decompressing rapidly and... yeah. I caught four fish. You did, yeah. But two of them were too little. We threw them back, and then I was sad because one of them was dead when I threw it back, and it just, like, floated around our boat uncomfortably (laughs) for a while. It made me feel bad. But, I mean, I guess I know something's going to eat that. It doesn't go to waste. No. It's going to decompose. It's going to be eaten. It's it's all part of... Crabs. Crabs are going to eat it. Something else is going to... A bird is going to come by and snatch it. It was a little depressing, a little bit, a little depressing. But then, I mean, the best part, so we got up at 6 a.m. to do this. We saw the sunset. It was a really beautiful time. And then we went back and we brought the kitchen at the resort we were staying at. We gave them the fish to cook us for lunch. So we also got to eat all the fish. So good. And it was very delicious. The barracuda especially. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Balinese food. Indonesian in general. Like, really good one of the best parts of the trip was just getting to eat so much indonesian i wish we had like bought some like spice blends or something because yeah whatever whatever the spell spice palette there is it was really yummy well do you remember that indonesian store we went to kind of in like alhambra or somewhere they have they probably have stuff it was like a weird it was like a weird store where we microwaved you chose a meal and then you microwaved it oh that place they probably have a lot of that stuff we would just have to look up some recipes to know what to get yeah. But yeah, I mean the sambal was just like incredible. Eventually we learned to like how to order the right kind of sambal cuz if you ask for sambal you might just get like a paste in a tube. Kind of like a like a ketchupy 
sweet. Oh yeah, there's a like, lot of different versions, or just like a very standard hot sauce. Yeah. Also. So then your mom told us if sambal you, mata. Sambal mata is like the it's basically shaved red onions or scallions. Scallions. Uh, what's the other one called? Shallot? Shallots. Um, shaved shallots and like a mix of other spices. Um, really yummy. Makes everything taste incredible. So we figured that out, and then we got yeah. sambal mato with everything. Um, but yeah, the the food was incredible. I could have eat. I could. I could eat that forever. I feel like I didn't get to try Bobby Gooling, which I'm sad about. Oh yeah, Bobby Gooling is the um, suckling pig, and you see signs for it everywhere. Everywhere. Full pigs being spit roasted, but I did get a touch of the Bali belly. Uh, gurgle, 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 gurgle. <laughs> First, while we were at the resort, and it could have been anything. I, I can't even speculate what, what, where it happened. But um, I got a little gurgly, and that went away after a day. And then later on, I got it got, it got bad. Came back with a vengeance. It came back with a vengeance. <laughs> uh, and then I felt like I couldn't have Bobby Gooling. Like I needed to take it easy. Oh, this is a cast um, iron. Yeah, you didn't get a... Yeah. <laughs> well, and you speculated that perhaps your biome is, like, more uh, acclimated. I'm not sure, though. I mean, because, I, yeah, when I lived in Trinidad, that was, like, in the equatorial uh, region. But I think probably, I mean, maybe there's some similar, like, what would you call it? Biome? Yeah, similar, gut, gut, similar gut bugs that yeah. live there, but I think probably the environment, like, bordering there and that gets visited by, mm. through trade and stuff, probably has a good deal of influence as well, so mm. it seems like, yeah, the other islands of Indonesia as well as, like, Australia and the rest of Southeast Asia yeah, kind of would make it a little different than what what was yeah. happening in Trinidad. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's different. You just have a um, strong gut. Most of the time. <laughs> I mean, I, I also got uh, Montezuma's Revenge, as I guess what they call it, on, yeah. our, on, our, <laughs> on our elope moon. So, I don't know. I guess I'm just more... I got that Midwestern... I'm just brushing my teeth with like, I, tap yeah, water yeah, everywhere. <laughs> and I was being so careful, spitting in the shower, brushing with bottled so water. So many times I forgot. I'm like, why does she keep spitting? Yeah. What is happening? <laughs> I was trying to be so careful, and it still came for me. The one difference between our diets was I drank a lot of iced coffee with yeah. ice in it. And some people do say you shouldn't drink beverages with ice in it because you don't know if the ice is made from Bali water or from or from filtered water. I was drinking a lot of ice bubble water. I guess. I drank, I drank like, numerous coffees every day yeah. with, with ice in it. So I would say that's, like, maybe the source, but I really couldn't tell you. I could just have a more sensitive stomach. Yeah. And, that, and that's on my potatoes, cheese... Uh, potatoes and cheese upbringing that's on my potatoes cheese (laughs) my potato cheese cold weather you know whatever um you also eat a lot of sauerkraut yeah i eat a lot of uh good fermented food uh probiotics probiotic stuff yeah yeah um then let's talk about kawaii gem you gem gem thank you Kawaijen, the blue flame. Yeah, so this is this volcano in Eastern, west, Eastern Java. East, East Eastern Java. Java. 
Um, this was the wildest like, part of the, the trip to me. Yeah, so this is like, we. Uh, I guess this is what my mom wanted to do on her birthday, uh, which is hike, hike this volcano. So Ijen is uh, one of two? One well, of several. Oh, I, I thought there was like two other main ones. Um, there's one in Iceland, there's one in Ethiopia, I think there were maybe two other ones. Mm, okay, one of a few volcanoes in the world that has this blue flame uh, I was going to say phenomenon, phenomenon, but it's not really... A f- we, know, we know why it happens, yeah. but uh, it's also the the most active one in the world for, the, for the blue flame. Oh, the uh-huh. most, yeah, I think what I was reading was all the other ones were much smaller. Um, like here, the blue flame can get up to like six feet. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see the six foot flames. That would have been really It was cool. enough what we saw. <laughs> uh, but... It also has uh, the world's largest highly acidic lake in the yeah. volcanic crater. Yeah. Which is... Also the earliest sunset in... Uh, the earliest, like, sunrise in all of Indonesia. Or in all of Java. Like, the place where you can see the sunrise first. Oh, at the top? Mm, just where we are in the crater. It's the mm. first place you can see the sunrise in Java. Really? Yeah. That's what I read. We were up pretty high, even though we were down in the crater. We were still on top of a mountain. Yeah. Look it up. That makes sense to me, though. No, look it up. Uh, okay, I don't know. We, we, um, we made quite a bit of elevation. Yeah. Uh, so that was a really cool experience. Also a really bizarre experience. Also, like, a uncomfortable experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, was, there was a lot There was a lot in. happening there. Uh... I guess let's talk about how it started. We got up at 11 Yeah, so PM. 11 p.m. We, we, we slept for an hour from 10 to 11, or 10 to 11 or so. And then we had to... This was all arranged by the resort, right? Yeah. They arranged the event for us or whatever. Took, um, took like, a shuttle to a, a ferry um, and had to take this ferry from Bali to Java. Um which was wild. We were trying yeah. to sleep on it. We were trying to sleep on the ferry. We were was... trying to grab whatever sleep we could <laughs> yeah. before we went on this like crazy hike in the middle of the night, but it wasn't very effective. I don't no. know if you slept. Uh, a little bit, but yeah, the, the ferry was really interesting because it was like... Weekend commuters. It was very... Just like the ferry itself. It wasn't... the only. I've only ever been on like the ferry in the Bay Area, which is, like, a super fast catamaran, so you, like, feel it moving, but this one, like... We didn't even know we left. Like, I felt something, and I was like, oh, we're going, or something, but (laughs) yeah, you couldn't feel anything. It was Uh, nighttime, and we were laying down. Probably, yeah, some sleep deprivation had to do with it, too, but yeah, it was weird. You didn't really feel it move at all, and it was... It was seemed like it was going like really slow. Like it we, was. we didn't have to really cover that much distance. It was less than a but, mile, I feel like. Yeah, it was very, very, very but it short. Took an hour and a half. It had to have been more than a mile. Yeah, I don't but. think so. I think it was the slowest ferry I've ever <laughs> been on. Because like, on the way back, I sat out on the like poop deck and like watched us creep up to the dock, and it, yeah. took, it was we were so close, and it took like twenty minutes. Um. Anyway, so we got, we took a, we took the cab to the ferry, a driver met us there, and he was kind of, like, helping us understand where to get on and get off. They brought us food, 
um, which we were supposed to eat whenever we wanted to on the thing. And then we took another car, which was an earth-shattering hell ride. For people who get car sick. For people like me who get car sick, uh, I sat in the front of the car. It was nighttime. The driver was driving very fast uh, on very, very windy roads. Um, but I didn't get sick. I just felt like shit because we'd uh, woken up in the middle of the night. I think I was you were a little half sick. asleep. No, I didn't get car sick. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sleep. <laughs> Temba fell asleep. I wanted to die. Uh, then we got to what I'm calling base camp. I don't know if they call it that, but basically like basically a, that basically base camp at the foot of this mountain, with like a bunch of market stalls where the drivers are encouraging you to like buy uh, food and coffee and stuff like that from the vendors. This is their livelihood. Is this industry of people going up to this blue flame? I didn't think we were gonna have to spend any money, so I didn't bring any money with me. Mm. Luckily, Tamba brought his money, but, um, so then we're kind of waiting. Our guide shows up. Ha- Hasim? Hashim? Has- Hashim. 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 I think, yeah. Um, he shows up and he's going to bring us up the mountain. Uh, so we begin our hike and we did not really know what we were getting ourselves into. Like, Jerry had told us about his experience there. He had never walked down into the crater before. Also at the resort hotel desk, when they told us what we needed, you need a coat, you need long pants, you need uh, hiking shoes. I showed them my chacos. I was like, is this okay? And they're like, that's fine. I mean, they were fine. They were fine. But we got there and our guide was like, those are the shoes you're wearing? You don't have a <laughs> coat? And like, we were like, no. Like, we asked It was them. not cold. Well, we're from LA. Yeah. So it was, it was like, co- it was like it was, desert cold. It, it was, was cold that- for them. Like our, our nights here are way colder. Yeah. Uh, I would guess it was probably like fifty-six, fifty-eight. Not even. 60. I would say it was in the. It was like mid sixties, upper sixties, because it was like the way the way up. There was the like crater. warm breeze. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was colder on the walk home in the morning. Yeah. Anyway, we started our walk up. We had no. We really didn't. Ha- we did really didn't know what we were in for. I just knew I was crabby and like couldn't believe I was up in the middle of the night with no sleep. We started our walk up. It was extremely dusty. We could have also stood to know that we should have had dust masks or <sighs> medical masks. I don't think I would have worn one. I definitely would have, <laughs> and I eventually fashioned one out of, like, one of my layers, my tank top underneath all my layers, because it was gross, and I was, like, spitting out black boogers the next day. Yeah. I mean, I did not think there was going to be as many people there as there were. Oh, I, was yeah. like, it was I was like, very I was like, who's going to be hiking up a volcano in the middle of the night? Right. <laughs> there was like hundreds, hundreds of people. Hundreds so of like people. the path up is just like moon dust from like, I assume every night is probably fairly busy there. Yeah. And they're in a drought and they just had some wildfires in the area. Yeah. It was very dry. Very dry. Very dry very moon dusty their their wet season hadn't started yet even though uh actually no i don't think wet season is even like supposed to start in that area at that point so they're still in their dry season um so we were walking up it was not steep but it was like consistently an incline right yeah and your mom gets altitude sickness yeah, I don't, I was very, I was like, why did you decide to do this and you know you get altitude sickness? That's what you wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, maybe also it seemed like Jerry was very laissez-faire fair talking about the, going up there, so maybe he made it sound like yeah. less high than it actually was. 
Maybe, and he also hadn't done it in a little while. It sounds like tourism there has, like, exploded. Boomed, yeah. And it, last time he did it, he said there were not There's that nobody. many people there. Yeah. So the trail being, like, extremely dusty, like, powder almost. It was, like, playa dust. Yeah. Literally, it was, like, that fine of a powder, like, flower. It's, like, walking through flower. Um, yeah, it was very busy, and the, the conditions were pretty wild. But then the weirdest thing as we were going up... Mm was this row at the very beginning there was this big row of like people drawn carts taxis yeah um and folks who whose job is uh pulling people up the mountain and i don't even know where to start with all that it was really like a disturbing yeah strange sight to see um but, like, in talking to our guide about it, like, trying to understand some of the nuance of it, like, I just, I feel very, like, conflicted about it. It's very upsetting, I guess, for me to see humans pulling humans because it's, like, a, like, work animal power dynamic, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, at the same time, like... Hashim, our guide, said a lot of the people doing taxi now are people who previously were mining the sulfur down in the crater. Yeah. Which we also saw these sulfur laborers and, like, the insanity of the difficulty of the labor they were doing. And I guess the pulling people up the mountain is better money, theoretically easier labor for better money. Yeah, less toxic. Less toxic and... uh, it was really a lot. I saw somebody was, just yeah. like bundled up watching friends on their phone <laughs> while a human pulled them up a rocky Two humans. Two so one person's pulling, the other on the person's front pushing. With a rope. And, and then... it's about a hundred US dollars per ride up, so they're splitting that. They get fifty dollars per each ride. I'm guessing it takes like two hours of that pushing. Was it a million? Uh it was a, uh, he said he said it translated to about a hundred US dollars. Oh what what you were getting charged. Oh, okay. Um, I, I believe, um, may I mean, just remember people on the way down. Cause I was like, oh, it was yeah. less on the way yeah. down on the way down, the farther down you get, they'll still pull you down, but the, the price goes down the lower down the mountain. The less you get. distance you have to go. Yeah. Um, man. So that was really, yeah, it's just it's like really hard to imagine like paying, enjoying having t- people taking pleasure heart in. you up yeah. and it was, a, I mean, it's one thing, yes, if you are not able bodied yeah. and cannot oh, make that yeah. hike. But yeah, there was a lot of very, like, the dynamic was, yeah, there was a lot of people that were pulling the carts that were, like, very old people. People who have been sulfur mining for their whole yeah. lives. Um, and. So I asked Hashim about it, too, and he, you know, I recognize that there's probably some, like, you know, bias at play, stereotypes and stuff like that, but he said that also it's mostly 99% Chinese people who buy the rides, and I looked into it a little bit afterwards because I think we are, like, cognizant of the rickshaw as being, like, like, historically related to China, even though it started in Japan. It became when Chinese immigrants moved to Japan, that was like this really low 
caste isn't the word, but like low class form of labor. Mm -hmm. There were like slurs about people who pulled the rickshaw, you know, and like, I guess I was starting to think that's very interesting. It's like this. And he described it like this as well of how like uh, when colonized people become take on some of that attitude of the colonizer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like once being seen as by their colonizers or oppressors this low class person and then like having this pleasure of becoming the person using that service to the next person down in their mind you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so i don't know that was just like there's uh, i'm not gonna like say that i totally understand the dynamic there just felt yucky to us <laughs> it felt yucky and at the same time our guide was like we call this place the gold mine because it's created so much wealth for the people in the area because it's improved the lives of sulfur workers because of tourism. Um, You know, it's a really like, to me, a very complicated dynamic because like you can't, I don't think you can extricate it from like the gnarly grossness of being like, la la la, a person's carrying my body up a hill. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's something just like, really upsetting to me about that and at the same time the people choosing that labor whether that choice better than hand mining sulfur (laughs) so i guess we can talk about that part next where we like went down into the sulfur mine yeah so that was that That was a whole whole other level of like interesting and and gnarly it's like i don't know it, it was like going down into fraggle rock the fires of Mordor or something. <laughs> sorry. Uh, but like influencer uh, Mordor. <laughs> Lord of the Rings fans. Sorry if I got that wrong. I'm probably <laughs> not saying that right. But yeah. So it's just like lines and lines. It reminded Th- me of when... like inverse Everest. It was like yeah. lines of people trying to Going summit down, Everest. down, yeah. not up. It was like a tourist. It's a tourist like adventurism thing or whatever yeah i I think this is when i realized just how many people were up there because you could you know when you're going up it's like it's very dark you can't really see you could at some points you could see all the like flashlights and headlamps and you're like oh wow but as you're going down it's you're a little closer together you're like you're closer to the bodies and you're like oh whoa and the like there's a lot more kind of like light bouncing around you're like whoa there's a fuckload of people in here and like people are just like yelling and shoving and like bumping into you and like trying to like like run in front of you so they can get down there faster you had to get to the blue flame by 5 a.m is what we were being told yeah there was like a time crunch and we were we were like kind of cutting it close because like when the sun comes up it's like not as bright yeah we had also Um, broken off from our guide and from your mom because your mom was needed to go a little slower because of her altitude sickness so we were just kind of like making our way down there just following the crowd um and yeah it was people were going very slow we're like maybe more like ready and able to like run down some rocks you know but some people were going really fast in like unsafe ways and like if you fall you're taking out like so many other people like what the fuck and it was slippery in points too there was like some really dusty areas and again i'm climbing in chacos i think you cut your foot open i definitely scraped the back of my foot at one point Oh, yeah, I just rubbed it on. I I didn't really... It was not... It was just, like, I peeled the skin. Yeah, right. It's not like a... I don't know. Well, it's an open wound, but 
it was very rocky. Yeah. I, in that moment, I could see why hiking boots would have been, or tennis shoes even would have been a better deal. But um, we did make it down to the blue flame. Got down. At one point, our guide caught up to us, uh, which we didn't know was going to happen. Yeah, we were like, <laughs> finally, we're on our own. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's just. We're not used to doing we're not, guided Yeah, guided stuff. We're used to just doing, doing our, our own thing. thing so. and it's, a, it's an adjustment for both of us, I think, <laughs> to, to, to do, like, guided anything. But it's also a big part of the tourism industry there. Yeah. Is there's a lot of work for people because for certain things, uh, I don't know about Java, but in Indonesia, they just changed the law. Or, sorry, in Bali, they just changed the law that you can't go to a volcano without a guide. Whether they, like, implement that or not. But the point is to provide jobs... Yeah. And to, like, prevent bad behavior by bad tourists being stupid, you know, and, like, disrespectful. But they create a lot of jobs by saying you have to have a tour guide. So it's a big part of the tourism industry there is, like, guided everything. Drivers for everything, etc. Anyway, uh, he met up with us. He showed us where the blue flame was. He insisted on taking a million pictures. <laughs> wait, wait. We were like, wait, we don't really need all these pictures. We got to the blue flame. It was so intense it was probably the most one of the most yeah probably the most surreal thing i've like witnessed in person like just these crazy like blue flames and they didn't even like move like regular flames i couldn't quite tell because it if it was because it was windy or if that's just how it moved they were like it was like dripping down the rocks. Well, explain how the blue flame is created. So the blue flame's created from like superheated uh, sulfuric gas. gas coming up through the rock from the um, inside of the vo- volcano. And uh, when the superheated gas hits the oxygen in the air, it ignites. Because the and... air is so hot, it has to be a cer- at a certain temperature, right? Oh, it's hot just because it's coming up from like a magma chamber, like inside the earth. <clears throat> um and yeah when it hits the oxygen it, it ignites um and i guess sulfur burns blue apparently uh but also with it is this just i don't even know how to describe it just the most noxious fucking we had masks smoke. on yeah we just had like kind of standard respirators well respirators that whose filters hadn't been changed in like who, who knows? knows how long they were like degraded and like crusty and like we didn't expect that they were really filtering our air that well but we had them on i mean i'm sure i, I don't nothing. think those were rated for like what we were breathing like you need like yeah like some something that's designed for like <laughs> like so, a chemical weapons or some shit so to get close to the gas or to the flame you have to kind of stand it was very windy the night that we were there maybe it's always windy there you have to stand very close to it and the winds are constantly changing and there's a ton of smoke coming out of the wherever the the sulfur is bubbling out of and so you stand in these like clouds of sulfur gas and our guide instructed us when the sulfur gas comes at you you close your eyes you press your uh, mask to your mouth and you breathe through your mouth. So every few, I don't know, 60 seconds or something like that, you kind of just stand there blindly, all the three of us holding on to each other so we don't lose each other. Everyone around us is panicking, but also trying to get their pictures. You're crowded <laughs> in next to a fucking open flame. 
with people elbowing you trying to get around it was really trippy yeah but this uh, like i was trying to describe the smells like this most the most noxious thing i've ever smelled it's like burns on the way in and almost like makes you panic like not want to like breathe but also like gasp at the same time and it's just like oh it's just the strangest experience and like burns your eyes too. Yeah, the eyes burning was really intense. It was just yeah, it was just a lot. I remember when we first got down to the blue frame flame, there was this lady that was just like I think I have it in one of yeah. my videos. She's like, I'm panicking, I'm panicking and she was just like freaking out and like getting ready to like bolt and then like a big cloud of smoke went over us and she couldn't see where she was going and was just like blindly like I'm surprised like, more people don't get pushed into the damn flame. Because it's <laughs> also just like a crowd of people trying to get their picture the whole event is like a big photo op and you know we got our photos our guide was like very intense about taking a million photos of us and we were like we we're just like, kind of yeah, want to take just it gonna, in like, chill like, and we're not here to look. like make an instagram thing we're like, not, yeah we definitely wanted some pictures but we didn't need like a million like images of us standing there so we kind of just like broke off and did our own thing um so many like influencer types yeah as the sun came up and it was a beautiful sunrise. It was yeah. just, like, pastel. And there's this, like, turquoise blue lake made of hydrochloric acid and sulfuric acid with, like, a pH of... I think it's at sometimes zero. You said Sometimes 0, 0, yeah. 0.5 to 0. This acid lake. There's influencers who have worn these, like, little, like, post-apocalyptic Mad Max outfits. And, like, to- dresses with slits up to the hip. <laughs> down this like I, it was not an like, easy hike how did you hike down here in that it was not i mean granted i was in chacos but like it was not i mean an no easy shame hike. i guess yeah but. no yeah, you can do it but like getting their pictures one of the influence one of the they're not all influencers we're just obviously when we say that we're talking about people who are living for the gram yeah that's what i mean by it. it's like not everyone's an influencer people who are living for the gram influencer uh, aspirational. Uh, aspirational we'll say um uh Hashim was like, uh, I can take your picture over there. Don't go too far. I'm going to show you where you can stand on the bank of the lake so you don't fall in. He was like, see where she's sta- standing. That's not good. So he showed us where you can stand. We got our picture in front of the lake. Then on our way back, we saw that girl, and she had fallen into the acid lake. <laughs> her shoes were soaked. Her legs were soaked with hydrochloric acid. That can burn your skin. Yeah, it, de- <laughs> it definitely does. I think he was telling us, like, there was... A while ago, there was some seismic activity, and it actually caused us like a tsunami, like a wave from the lake, mm. and some people got swept out into it, and, <gasps> the, and the miners went, like they didn't have a boat or anything, but they had some like pieces of wood, so they paddled out there to try to rescue <gasps> the people, what? and they were out there for too long, and all of them died. <gasps> so it's not like a, it's not like like what? in the movies you splash it on you and your skin melts away. It's not like alien acid blood. Yeah, but you don't have you don't have a very long, like, before it will kill you. What the fuck? So, yeah, he said there was a bunch of people that died trying to rescue these other people oh out God. there. But, yeah, so it's not like, yeah, don't imagine, like, yeah, your her skin's like immediately skin. melting away. But, I mean, she couldn't have been in there very long, a few seconds. Like, it just seemed like she splashed in in her legs. Because the bank, her the, feet. The, the sand fell down behind yeah, her. Yeah, it was just, like, she crumbly sand. It. Like, you wouldn't stand on the edge, I feel like. If you were thinking, but uh, I mean, I imagine her shoes and her pants are ruined. Not a fun hike I mean, back. she maybe got a little bit of burn Stretch, or irritation on her skin for sure. Yeah. 
So it was a it was a really weird scene. Um, <laughs> it was so strange. Then there was also a sulfur miner there who had created like these little uh, souvenirs, I guess, out of like molten sulfur. Yeah. So you got one of those for your mom, not one of the molded ones. Just the, the natural thing of how it comes out. So yeah, I guess I guess we'd say we how they up, yeah. how they mine the sulfur. Yeah. So. They, uh, I guess the mining company installed these pipes from where the vent is. And the idea is that the sulfur gas goes into the pipes and cools and turns into a liquid. And then at the bottom drips out and cools into a solid. And then they take like a pry bar and break off pieces and load them into like, if you imagine like a yoke with two baskets on either side, they load up both of those baskets. Uh, trying to remember how 200 much. Two hundred pounds. Uh, yeah, it can be the loads can be up to two hundred pounds, and then they like carry it out on their backs, like. And which is probably like a forty. It's a like at least a forty-five minute hike up out of the crater. Up and out of the crater. I mean, yeah. without weight. Yeah. That's probably what it took us forty minutes or something. Um, also, they're not given. Proper nope, PPE. No PPE. They're bo- I didn't see anyone in flip-flops, but I've heard some wear flip-flops. There were definitely rubber boots, which are not g- good footwear yeah. for climbing. Um, I did see one sulfur miner's like, mask similar to ours, except for instead of filters, they were just like m- medical masks, rubber banded around those two filter <laughs> holes. Like, that's not a that's not a it's filtration. not going to do shit, yeah. So I was talking to Hashim about it. He said his dad was a sulfur miner. And his dad died when he was 16. Uh, he didn't say what from, but he, like, stressed how much um, illness and injury and uh, even just, like, the smell of sulfur being permeated into your being when you work the sulfur mine. You can't go out into the world and not smell like sulfur after yeah, you work the sulfur like mine. Yeah, it's just, like, gnarly, rotten egg. We have it in the clothes that it, we wore that we will our not... Our clothes still stink I, like I will sulfur. probably just throw those, those clothes out there. It's, they're not... I tried uh, several different ways of washing them. They still smell like sulfur. So you also are carrying this, like, stigma of smelling like sulfur. Um, Just a really gnarly job. He also expressed that uh, the whole mine is owned by a Chinese sulfur company. Like I said, there's some... I don't know if it's xenophobia or if this is just, like, the the, the reality. I mean, I think that is. Like, that's kind of what the cobalt the cobalt mines yeah it's a capitalist enterprise so they do not care if they have ppe they only care about spending the least amount of money on labor to get the most out of their profits yeah i mean it's exactly like the cobalt mines and Mm -hmm. the drc like those are all like if they're not owned by china a lot of them are backed by chinese companies because that's where it's going back to be processed or Or to be put into electronics. He also <laughs> mentioned that, like, there are more modern ways of mining sulfur. This company is choosing to still rely on extremely low wage Yeah, it's, labor. The, it's the cheapest. I don't remember what he said that, like, if a miner can make two trips a day. So imagine this, like, three-hour journey. Well, it's three hours up, three six-hour journey. You try to make two of those a day, so a 12-hour day. With your 200 pounds. Do you remember what the price was? I think I looked it up and it was like $16. Super, super low. Yeah. $7? I don't remember. Um, yeah, obviously extremely low, which is why also it sounds like a lot of miners have found that doing the taxi service is more lucrative and less hazardous mm-hmm. uh, or harmful. 
So it's just like a very, I mean, not complicated, but like, uh, I don't want to say complicated or nuanced. It's just like, it's just, ba- it's just, it's bad, it's bad, but it's also like, this is what is like, I don't know. How do you rectify, yeah, how do you rectify of, the feelings around that? A lot of that? conflicting stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it was, it was, you know, it was a little tourist destination in that it was like actually full of like kind of deep, like, uh, political implications. Also, our guide asked me how I felt about Palestine on the way down, which I thought was, you know, also interesting. East Mm -hmm. Java is like, uh, primarily Muslim or I think all Indonesia in general, minus Bali. (laughs) Indonesia, yeah. Besides Bali, Indonesia is like a predominantly. I think Muslim. it's the, the second, the second largest, or maybe it was the largest um, Muslim nation that's not an Islamic state in the world. Um, it's a very big Muslim population. I thought it was interesting. He asked that, and I think he just wanted to talk about politics. You know, yeah. I mean? but um, yeah, it's just all of those things to me on this trip came up because they are related. You know, mm-hmm. this like this, the, 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 the classism and the like subjugation of people browner than other people. You know what I mean? Like the, this idea, like I was saying about like the Chinese, um, people taking the, the rickshaw in a sense, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's just like these like repeated cycles of like domination and like trying to like, I don't know, Lord over. There was just a lot of that on this trip and it's like still very like heavy for me to process you know not in a way that like i can like do anything about it's just yeah. like it, it just wasn't like that light <clears throat> yeah people just... talk about their bali trips like it's this paradise and i'm like where did you where do you get that well i mean it really depends <laughs> on where you're at and what you're thinking about because you could just go there and i mean i think many people uh yeah don't give a fuck about the people that actually live there they're just going to have like their, Instagram their cute pretty moment. time and like oh yeah it's cheap i can live like a king or whatever yeah. and um it doesn't really matter like to them yeah who who are these people that you know are here yeah. and will be there after you leave <clears throat> yeah. yeah so we uh we climbed out um we saw some of the miners like pulling stuff up and they were clearly very exhausted they did they they did ask for or uh hashim asked that we tip that miner at the bottom and yeah. i'm hoping that that gets like shared between miners you know i, I would assume it doesn't just i assume so because yeah they he, i think they were saying they can't really work when tourists are in there oh god no we saw yeah. one person go up who like couldn't make it past the crowd there's yeah just too many people and i guess at night it's not really that Right. At night is when the blue flame tourism happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, we we made it back down. It was an extremely treacherous journey back down, too. Can we talk about that? Oh, just the dust was so slippery. Like, every few steps, you could just, like, slip. And I was, like, I felt like I was liable to, like, pull a knee socket out or something. (laughs) Like, we all, like, grabbed each other to, like, help get down. But I actually found that to be less effective. Mm -hmm. But, um... Yeah, it was kind of an intense journey back down as well. And then... But really beautiful, too, because, yeah. like, the way up, it was completely dark. So there was, like, a, a volcano right behind us the whole time. And, like, on the way down, it's just, like, 
boom, just there. And you're just yeah. like, wow. Yeah. There's like, yeah, there's, I think there was like three or four volcanoes like right in that area. And it's just very surreal. Just like, wow, we're on a volcano. There's a volcano. Mm-hmm. There's a volcano. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, that, that experience was the highlight of my trip, even though I wasn't expecting it to be just because of the, intensity of like the contrast of what we saw the like splendor of the nature but also the like there was just it was there was a lot of information that I never would have expected to have like been exposed to or or to have have seen on this trip you know Mm -hmm. and I'm really really grateful that we were able to do that then we took our car back. He went much slower on the way back. No car sickness. I actually didn't have any car sickness all through Bali, despite the mountain roads. The many <coughs> windy roads. I think it's because uh, you can only drive so fast on those roads, ultimately, and the vehicles are much smaller. Yeah. Something about that. Like, I never got sick. Um, back on the... Back on the... It's not a yacht. What is it called? The ferry. <laughs> the, ferry. the yacht. The yacht. No, it's a ferry. Back, back on the ferry and And like back. a legit one that was carrying like buses and cars and trucks too, uh-huh. not just like a people mover. <laughs> yeah. And back to Pamudran. And then we had a couple more days there. I think we went to town and explored. Yeah, we explored a little a bit little. in town, tried some different restaurants and the foods and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, I think we also deduced like resort life is not how it's not we our bag. <laughs> how, yeah. how we would particularly choose to spend vacation. We both like to like go around and see stuff more, but at the same time, we did that in the second half of the trip. I'm kind of glad we had time to just like relax, but I think our travel style is more like I'm in a new place. I want to yeah. see as much as I can. While I'm here, you know. I want to see what the people are doing. Yeah, yeah. The people are not hanging out at a resort. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a, I mean, the resort was, like, interesting. We saw, Mm -hmm. like, some people dancing. I don't know. Do you remember anything super memorable? Um, We played pool a lot. We played, we we rediscovered our love of pool. Yeah, we played some pool. (laughs) I, I don't know. We should find some pool tonight. Maybe. I know where it is. We should, yeah, we just, <laughs> we just hung out. And I mean, the villa that we were staying at was like, unlike anything I've ever stayed at. It's something Jerry and Juno arranged for us to stay at. It was like a three structure, private pool, private yard. It was really something. Yeah, I don't think I would ever experience I would never experience that on my that. own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was um, interesting. Definitely a, lux- a luxurious experience. I n- will probably not soon experience, <laughs> not soon experience again. Um, but like I said, I, I just, I still hold these kind of like weird feelings about even having those experiences because it's hard to like, it's like I enjoy it, but it's hard to separate it from like walking into town and seeing like the, you know, the way local people live, yeah. which is not in that kind of, like, luxury, obviously. And I don't really know how to, how, it's not easy for me to justify, like, experiencing that, even if it's, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. 
<laughs> but I'm really glad we had that experience. It was definitely a, a new one for me. Um, well, yeah, yeah, lots lots of new experiences. Lots of new experiences, which is why you travel, right? Uh, yeah. To, to shift perspective and experience new things, I guess. Um, we are 123 in. Do we want to... I mean, I think that's kind of that's like... a good stopping A point. good place to stop. And our second one, we can dive more into our solo okay adventures because we didn't do much else oh we did do a little more so uh when we left the resort uh my mom and jerry wanted oh, to stop yeah. at their the uh, person who grows orchids because they were going to pick up some new orchids and we had another really good Balinese cuisine yes uh what bb bakso bb bakso uh Bobby. Bobby Buxo. Bobby Buxo, pork meatball soup. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. Uh, and I guess, like, they wanted us to have this experience because, like, Buxo is a street food. So for, like, the uninitiated gut, it's not always something that's, like, accessible. But they said they've had... Well, I don't know if they've had this one. No. They've watched no. him make the meatballs <laughs> and felt that this was, like, a good one for us to try. I'm not scared of street meat. I will eat bush meat. Yeah. Gimme. <laughs> As for me, I, I was definitely, like, I'm probably going to be cautious since I had tummy troubles even playing by the rules. So, uh, yeah, the Buxo was delicious. And also, I mean, can we talk about, like, the obsession with Obama that we experienced? (laughs) Um, So, like, on our first night, we were talking to your mom and Jerry about how, like, this presidential election is coming up. And this guy that everybody, I guess, who's maybe, if you could call it, like, Democrats in Bali, really love this guy. And they were like, because he's just, like... Obama. We were like, what? No, he's a, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a working man, just like Obama. No, yeah, it's, he's a working man, and he he's from the ghetto, just like Obama. I was like, what? Obama's, Obama's not, not from, from the, the ghetto? ghetto? What the fuck are you talking about? This is like a white American guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we were both like a little like, what, excuse? What the fuck what? are you talking about? So that was weird, and we, were, we like challenged that. But then, like the next day or the day after, our driver was like, oh yeah, there's this election coming... Uh, this guy is so great. We love him. He's just like Obama. And I was like, huh. Okay, so this is the second time I'm hearing this. And then our guide, Hashim, at the volcano said the same thing. And I was trying to, like, get to the bottom of, like, what this obsession is with Obama. (laughs) So I was like, it's so weird. And he was like, Hashim was like, when Obama made this statement about what his favorite food was, and I think this was in, like, 2010, so shortly after he was had been elected president, mm. um, he ma- he visited Bali and he made this statement about his favorite food, and it was like bakso nasi goreng, and everyone was just so proud to hear him say that. He also spent four years here as a child, from when he was six to ten. His, uh, his stepdad step- was his Indonesian, stepdad right? Was, yes, and his mom actually stayed after they broke up. His mom stayed in Indonesia. Oh wow. Um, so he had lived for four years in um, actually Lijian, which is kind of close to Kuna Lijian, kind of close to Shanggu where we were at the end of our trip, <coughs> which is like a working class neighborhood in Indonesia. Um, so there's this like aura or like myth around Obama being like one of us, Balinese or mm. something, having this connection to Bali. And then when he said bakso, nasi goreng was his favorite food, that created, like, a lot of pride or, like, a sense of, like... And increased, like, tourism. tourism. Like, more people came. Every time that he has visited Bali, which his most recent trip was in 2017, 
every time he's come to Bali, it's increased tourism. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, it puts Indonesia on the map as like a destination because it's in the news or whatever. So I kind of got to the bottom of that. We saw all these like campaign posters everywhere. And I noticed that I think it was that candidate they were talking about had a has striking. They were styling him a lot like Obama. Like Obama, like black and white looking off into the distance, like very the same campaign materials as like change, the change campaign <laughs> or whatever it was, you know. This is really interesting to see that because obviously we're anarchists and we're, uh, you know, jaded. <laughs> <laughs> jaded and hateful against all American presidents. But um, hearing that was kind of fascinating because you think about like the material repercussions of like a Western leader speaking highly of your country, then that is going to have material consequences of like people feeling interested in that country. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Bali, 70% of their GDP is tourism. Yeah, it's you know? hugely based on it. And I think someone was telling, uh, I think it was the my t- the tattoo artist that I saw was saying, yeah, ba- Bali is by far the most wealthy, I guess, mm-hmm. of the islands in Indonesia, probably because of tourism. Mm-hmm. And it has a reputation for being uh, very safe, very inexpensive, very peaceful, and paradise or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Oh. Lots of good surfing and, I guess, partying for the Australians. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that kind of like, I was like, sus- you know, we were like suspicious when we heard Jerry say that because we were like, Obama. Well, I mean, it, it was specifically the, the ghetto thing. I mean, like, maybe, you talking about? maybe what that, maybe now that I like did my research a little bit, maybe that's because the neighborhood he lived in for four years in Indonesia was considered a working class, aka some kind of ghetto. I don't know. You mm. know, I don't think that's like. Trans a translatable. I don't know if that's a translatable like word for that, but um, yeah, I, I think guy, uh, yeah. I'm gonna lay the blame of that on Jerry. He could <laughs> he could have chosen, chosen a, a word. different word. <laughs> yeah, but I guess I guess that's like where this reverence comes from, which was so puzzling to us. It's like a feeling of you know america's greatest export being like the myth of its exceptionalism mm-hmm. you know like that that is felt when you see people revering like a genocidal monster like obama you know so i don't know um that's a uh that's a whole other story but i feel like i finally understood like because i was just so puzzled why it kept coming what? up anyway we got to try buck so obama's favorite food and it was really good it was delicious yeah uh we'll put this one out right away since we missed uh month the end of october since we were not here yeah and then uh in the next few days we'll record the next one right yeah part two our solo time well, our solo, scooter times yeah the scooter advent the scooter files the scooter diaries <laughs> <laughs> that's our live laugh love i mean meet pray love our eat pray loves uh... i said meet pray love <laughs> Our meat, our meat, pray, <laughs> love, love adventures. So until then, thanks Bye. for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to Cosmic Halitosis. If you have questions or comments or want to yell something at us, email us at cosmic with a K halitosis, cosmic halitosis at gmail.com. Please subscribe and like the podcast. And you can follow us on our personal Instagram accounts. I am gorgeous taps. And Temba is Tembizzle, T-E-M-B-I-Z-Z-L-E. Thanks for listening.